morning. If you'll turn your Bibles with me this morning to Galatians chapter 6, we're going to jump back into Galatians. And let me go ahead and tell you that we're not that far from being finished with Galatians, and then we're going to go into 1 Kings. You know, when I was thinking about this, uh, just Galatians 6 reminded me of a story that years ago when I was living in Asia, I was camping in an area, and for several nights I'd wake up and there would be a bell just ding, 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 walking past my little tent in the middle of nowhere, the steps in Asia. And finally, I figured out it was a cow. And so on the way, when I was moving out of that region, I stopped and talked to a farmer. And I said to him, why is your cow wearing bells? And he got very serious. And he leaned in and said, because his horns don't work. <laughs> If you just turn to Galatians chapter 6 with me this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Uh, have you ever put your kids in, in school and you watch as other children begin to actually have more influence upon them than you have? And that's, that's what happened that feeling is, is what's happening here with Galatians. Paul and the Galatians, he's, he's uh, shepherded them, he spent time with them, and then when he left the Judaizers, this religious group from uh, Jerusalem, has come out to this big region of Galatia, and they're trying to add to the gospel. Circumcision, religious ceremonies, and so Paul is writing to them what the gospel is, and in chapter 5, what we just finished, he, he tells him, after he's explained the gospel so well, he says, walk in the Spirit. And by walking in the Spirit, you will overcome the fruits of the flesh. And then he gives them 15 fruits that this is how you know that you're walking in the flesh. And if you continue to walk like that, if that's what your life looks like without any repentance, then you should know you're not actually part of the kingdom of God. And then he gives nine fruits of the Spirit. This is how you know that, that you're walking in the Spirit. Now, come into chapter 6, okay? What if someone who has the Spirit, they've been walking in the Spirit, but suddenly they get entrapped, they get ensnared, they begin to struggle with some type of trouble or some type of sin in their life? And that's what he tells us to do, how to deal with that. With other believers. So Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, now that's important, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let's, let's stop right there. Let's pray for our time. Father, thank you for the spirit that Paul talks about. That we who are spiritual, walking in the spirit, there's ministry that we are to engage in. And when we're walking in the flesh, not in the spirit, there are ministries we are not to engage in. Lord, we want give us eyes to see, our own heart to serve. And we want to be a people who know the Spirit, 
the Spirit or led in the Spirit, and our lives produce the wonderful fruits of the Spirit to your glory. Speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as a Christian, one of the hardest things to do is to come along beside a brother or sister who's struggling and to bear their burden, to correct them like Paul talks about, and then to bear their burden, and to do it in gentleness. Um, Sam and Dan were seminary students, and they were old friends. Third year, Sam was studying in the library one day when his friend David approached him, and he said, Sam, can I, can I talk to you about something quite significant? He said, yeah, of course you can, David. So they went to a private study room. When they entered the room, David said, I need to tell you what's going on in my life. Uh, I have some very significant and painful addictions. I have a pornography addiction, and I've been spending $1,500 a week going to clubs. Sam was taken back because he and David had been in a lot of the same classes, and they were close friends. And so over the next week, he began to think and pray, how do I handle this situation? So he, he got back with his friend David and said, look, this is what we need to do. The two of us will begin to study the Word together weekly, trying to move you to a place where you actually have a, a real repentant heart ready to turn from that. And then I know a church here in the region that they have a wonderful group for men struggling with sexual addictions. I want you to be part of that and I want to hold you accountable. But the third thing is, I, I've talked to my spouse, and we want you to move upstairs in our house for the rest of the summer, where you will have some real accountability and fellowship with other believers. Now, notice what Sam did for David. He didn't just take out the word and bushwhack him over the head, did he? He didn't just correct him with truth or restore him truth and walk away. But he ended up bearing his burdens, didn't he, as well, by bringing him into his own home. You see, the process of restoring another believer is hard. It's very hard. And that's why Paul calls those who are walking in the Spirit alone to do it. And this is what we see in Galatians 6. The context is people caught in some type of deep trouble and snared in some type of sin. And they desperately need restoring. But not just restoring in a one-off message. They need restoring and then someone to walk with them and to carry their burdens with them. Now my friends, this text calls Christians really to two great things. To boldness and to humility. To a, a gentle boldness in restoring others. Because he tells us to do it in gentleness. But at the same time, secondly, a real humility in realizing, like he says, we are nothing in terms of being able to minister to others. We are nothing outside of God, His grace, and His Spirit. Which guards us from feeling either superior when we minister to others and we see the Lord working in their life or inferior when we're that person who's ensnared in deep struggles and another believer has to come and minister to us. 
So there's two things we want to see in this text. Here's the first. It's from verses 1 and 2. Restore people, congregation, believers, restore people in spiritual boldness. If you look with me once more, verses 1 to 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself lest you be tempted. And we'll, we'll just stop right there. So the, the question then is, what do you do? What do you do when your spouse, your child, your friend, your boss, your employee, they're ensnared. And, and the word here is they're overtaken. It means that they're caught in something that was unexpected, but they can't get out. Some type of sin or trouble has gotten them. And he goes on, he says, well, you who are spiritual restore them. Okay? And we need to ask, okay, stop. What does he mean, you who are spiritual? Does that mean someone who's constantly got wise sayings? Does that mean someone goes around saying, oh, bless your heart all the time? No, he's just told us that. Thing. Remember he said, those who walk, who are led, who are living by the Spirit. And then he's given us those great fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the people he's talking about. When those things are coming out of your life, Restore them. Means to bring them back to an original condition. Repairing your fishing nets so that they can be used for their original purpose again. And he's talking about people who are walking in the Spirit, bringing other brothers and sisters to repentance. Bringing them to a place where they're back to their original condition with the Lord, fellowshipping with Him, having communion again with Jesus. And, and here's why I think it's really neat. Out of the list of fruits that he's just given us of the Spirit, he picks one. He says, do it in gentleness or in meekness. So for those who are spiritual, they are to correct and restore in gentleness. And what he's saying is, bring all your strength under God's control. So maybe you have anger at this person, it's their spouse. Maybe you have disappointments with this person as you've seen the consequences of their sin. Maybe you're disgusted by this person. And he's saying take all those things and put them under God's control and approach them in gentleness. You see, why gentleness? Because gentleness is the grace that breaks up the hard soil of the heart and makes it prepared to receive the truths of the Scripture. And then he gives a warning. Look in your Bible with me once more. Notice what he says there in the warning. You who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself lest you should be tempted. So as you're doing this, watch your own heart. Watch your motives. Watch your desires so that you don't fall into the same temptation or develop a spirit of superiority. Recently I read a, a great book. It's called God in the Brothels. And it was about a Christian man in ministry. 
and he committed his life to infiltrate the billion-dollar sex industry to rescue those uh, young ladies who had been enslaved. And so for years, he traveled the world, and God used him in amazing and tremendous ways to bring so many young girls out of slavery. But he continued to put himself in compromising situations, and he stopped watching his heart. And as I got close to the end of the book, it told a very sad story that he said he found himself one night in a room with a Ukrainian woman as he was trying to get information from her. And he said, my flesh took over and I gave in to my flesh and my desires with her. And he said, those 30 seconds cost me my ministry, my family, and my marriage. You see, often we are the last to see the danger we are in, even when our motives are to love and restore someone else. So what do you do when your brother, your spouse, your child, your good friend, they are caught in some sort of sin or trouble and you see it? Well, the first thing you do is you examine yourself. You examine what's coming out of your own heart. And you have to ask that question, am I spiritual? Which means, am I walking in the Spirit? Do, do I see love, joy, peace, patience, these things coming out of my heart? And if not, then I don't need to go correct someone else at this time. What I need to do is take a week and just commit every day to worship and engaging the living God, asking Him to deal and change my heart. In other words, I ask God to correct my own heart before I ask God to use me to restore someone else. And when Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore others, he is calling us to examine the motivations of our own heart. You see, there are very few things that make us feel powerful, useful, worthy, like rebuking other believers for their failings. Like one brother told me, he said this, Rusty, I've been practicing prophetic words for years on other people. But what I realize now is I was doing it because I wanted to feel important. I wanted to be respected. That is why Paul requires only those who are living, walking, being led by the Spirit to engage in correcting others. Not just because the temptation is so great to fall into their sins, but also because the temptation is so great to restore broken people for my own glory. The Spirit is the only one who can restore others in Christ. And if your life is not producing the fruits of the Spirit, then you must Correct you before you seek to restore others. Let's move to points. But restoring someone only begins there. Then the hard work starts. Point two. Carry other burdens in gospel humility. Carry others' burdens in gospel humility. If you would look at verse 2 in your Bibles. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Stop there. Notice 
Paul's words. Bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To bear is literally the cross that you take upon yourself burdens. And that's more than just sins. He's not calling you to take their sins. He's calling you to take their troubles, their difficulties, their sorrows, their challenges, and put part of that weight under your shoulders, the difficulties of others carried by you. And it's much more than just say, hey, I'll pray for you. But physically, to help take their load. And so financially, if someone loses a job, maybe you need to step in and give them money. Or help to restore them or give them work to do. There, there are parental loads, especially single parent homes. Maybe you need to help with the children somehow or bring up a single mom or single dad a meal. Or physical if someone's sick. They can't know their yard. You're bearing your life. But, but notice the connection between restoring someone spiritually and bearing their burden. Listen, listen, you don't correct someone and then just walk away, right? You correct someone with your words, the words of Scripture, of course, and then you love them with their actions, with your hands, your heart, your time, possessions, and your money. And, and notice what he says that does. Look at verse 2. And you so fulfill the law of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the seminary student who just been spending $1,500 at the strip clubs, yes, he needs correction from the Word. Yes, he needs to be brought to a place of repentance. And then he needs someone to step into his loneliness and help him bear that burden. And then he needs someone to help him bear his financial struggles that have incurred because of his own sin. He might need someone in his life for an extended season. Now, just like verse 2, then he gives us another warning. Look in your Bible, verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You see those words there, when he is nothing? He's not talking about self-hatred here. Because he's always said in chapter 3 that you are sons of God. So that, that's not what he means. So what does he mean by nothing? Well, he's talking about your ability. He's saying, in ministry to others, your ability is nothing. So, here's where ministry to everyone in your life begins. I have no ability to change this person. I am nothing when it comes to changing them in their heart. I have no ability to change my spouse. I am not their savior. I am nothing when it comes to changing their heart. I can't make my children love Jesus. I have no ability to change their heart and their mind. I can't free my neighbor from his addictions. I have no abilities there. I am nothing. I will not deceive myself, like Paul says. But Christ is sufficient, empowered to do all those things and more through the Spirit in the believer. And that's the reason he says, you who are spiritual, because you are nothing, you have no ability without walking and being led and being governed and bearing the fruits of the Holy Spirit in your life. So, 
What does this look like to bear each other's burdens? Um, Sharon told me she didn't know how she would make it if it wasn't for her Sunday school class. I met Sharon 10 years ago, and they had a special needs child that had passed away in their Sunday school class, or I think they might have called it their growth group, decided that for the rest of the semester, their primary ministry was going to be Sharon and Tim. And so they prayed for them, but they did far more than just that. They carried their burdens. They ministered to them in every way possible, bringing them meals, spending time with them, taking them to coffee, checking up on them. Eventually, Sharon and Tim began to ask, God, what are you doing in our life? And they began to develop a heart to foster children. That heart grew, and they ended up adopting 11 children and starting a ministry that we now call Raleigh's Place. And what was amazing, that original Sunday school class continued to carry their burdens. They became board members. They became financial contributors. They came down to work days, even though it was a long drive. All while supporting them again and again and again. Three things that we need to come away with thinking and living this. First, as Christians, God gives you eyes to see people's needs and trouble. He gives you the spirit for the ability, because by ourselves we have nothing, to restore them. And we are to bear each other's burdens in the process. Which means correcting and restoring others is not a one-time act of giving them truth and walking them away. It is a long-term commitment to their restoration. Giving them truth and then walking with them and carrying their burdens the best that you can. Secondly, you must be willing to admit when your burden, either in sin that no one knows about is hidden, or in difficult trouble, is beginning to ensnare you and to be too great for your weak shoulders. Part of God's grace to you is His people. And you will struggle until you begin to share your heart and your troubles and your failings with other believers. That is part of how God ministers grace to His children. Third is this. You're not superior or inferior. As Christians, we don't operate from a position of superiority or inferiority in the church. So if God uses you to restore many, don't be deceived. You are not superior spiritually. Your ability to minister to others is nothing by itself. It is the Spirit and the grace of God working through you. On the flip side, if you have really deep struggles, and your entire Sunday school class or growth group or Christian community, they've corrected you, they've served you for years. Don't be deceived. You are not inferior in God's kingdom. You have the same spirit. You're clothed with the same righteousness in Christ 
and you share the same position as a child of God, saved only by grace through faith in Him alone. So the gospel gives you, Christian, new identity, which is neither superior or inferior to anybody else in Christ, but says in Christ you are the same kind righteous yet sinful. Believing that I can boldly minister to others, not because I've got great gifts and superior, but actually because I am nothing. I don't rely upon myself. But God gives me all I need. I have sufficiency in Christ and His Spirit in me. Father, thank you so much that Part of this means that you use the simplest, most ordinary men and women to do extraordinary things for your kingdom and your glory. Thank you, Lord, that we don't look within ourselves. We don't look at our own ability. We look at the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. And all of that, all of the sufficiency of Jesus is given to us in the Spirit. Praise you for that, O oh God. Lord, give us eyes to see the needs of others around us. Give us the grace to walk in the Spirit and then to be able to restore. Give us the perseverance to walk with them long term and carry their burdens. And let Christ receive the glory because that's what He did on the cross for us. He carried our burden of sin to its completion. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name.